0: thank you. Pastor. Well, I appreciate you all having me in and I appreciate you keeping us in your thoughts and prayers as we endeavor to go back to Ukraine. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today, about what the Lord had for us, and then get into the testimony, how the Lord called me and uh, my wife as well to, to go to Ukraine and remain in Ukraine. And um, But uh, we'll get into a little bit about the presentation and I know you all might have some questions. I'll try to leave a little time open for questions. And throughout the week, if you have any, any more, feel free to stop by the table and ask. There's a lot going on, a lot that I can't explain, a lot that I don't know what's going on, uh, but, but it's all in the Lord's hands. And uh, so we'll, we'll attempt to get into a little bit about the history of Ukraine and some things that the Lord has done and is doing and, and may do in the future there. But we appreciate you all keeping us in prayer and uh, the folks there as well. Uh, my family is uh, Naomi. Um, she was born and raised in Ukraine in a missionary family. And uh, her father, my father-in-law, has been there since 1992, Brother Demopoulos. And uh, so Naomi had to surrender to the Lord's will to stay in Ukraine. And uh, so we have got married in 2016 and began our first term over there. And our son, Philip, was born in 2019. And so he's four, almost five, as he would say. And then uh, James is uh, just a year old, 14 months. I have to get used to saying months again. I say months, months, months. Then he turned a year uh, back in September. Got to say a year. Now Now it's back to 14 months. But uh, he's, he's our, they're little helpers. So the uh, Lord's blessed us with uh, those two helpers there. Um, again, we, uh, we've been back in the States uh, for a little over a year, going on two years. It's hard to believe how fast time has flown since the war began. But uh, we had come on a furlough in uh, 2020 to 2021, and we went back to Ukraine in in the spring of 2021 with the anticipation of going there for another four years, five years, Um, and then the war began. And uh, it didn't come as a total surprise, but uh, it uh, it, it did catch many Ukrainians and caught us by surprise as far as the timing and uh, how everything went. So we can't predict the future. You don't know, thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So uh, we don't want to boast ourselves of tomorrow and just occupy with what the Lord has for us in the present time. But uh, Ukraine, you, you all probably know a lot more about Ukraine than you may have years ago. You probably supported missionaries, had missionaries come through who had been to Ukraine and talked a lot about the history and what's been going on, but uh, just due to the news and the war, you're probably a lot more aware of of the the things going on in Ukraine than you were some years ago. But uh, the geography of Ukraine is such that uh, people are always going to fight over that territory. It's the uh, the gateway to the east, and from the east, the gateway to the west. So any armies that have come through that want to invade Europe, uh, or armies that want to push the other way, they have to go through Ukraine. If you've played the game Risk at all, you know the importance of Ukraine. And that territory, you take that territory, you can go anywhere down into Asia, uh, up north, or into Europe as the Mongols and the Huns, and uh, many of those groups have passed through that territory of Ukraine. It's cycled hands so many times. Uh, you had the Romans control, well, the Greeks before the Romans, in some of that southern territory around the Black Sea. Uh, Some of the names of cities, Mariupol, Melitopol, Simferopol, Sevastopol, all those cities you may have heard about in the news, all those come from the Greek uh, language, polis, meaning city. And then the Romans had a hand down there as well. Um, You had the the, uh, German, the Goths, who settled in that territory, and then the Huns that pushed them into the Roman Empire, which caused the collapse of the Roman Empire, and, and that was one factor in there. And then uh, you had the Slavs who came in there as well. The Slavs um, formed a kingdom with the Vikings that formed the Kievan Rus empire over a thousand years ago. And um, then the Mongols came in and and destroyed that territory as well. So armies have constantly been wrestling over that territory. And most recently the Russians uh, gained control back in the 1800s, early 1800s of that territory and uh, that's, that's where they stood for a long time since communism, the early 90s, when Ukraine declared its independence. So there are a lot of factors that have gone into the, the current war in Ukraine. I believe one missionary said there's never been a hundred years of peace in that country. And that's due to the geography and, and just the, the, the different religious powers. Every religious power wants to form a kingdom and they always want to control that territory. You have Muslims fighting over that land, Uh, The Catholics and the Orthodox, all those groups have tried to have a hand in that territory. But uh, we were fighting a different kind of warfare, Uh, the the warfare that really matters, and that's the spiritual warfare in the country. And uh, there there weren't a lot of material results that that we could see with our eyes. You know, back when my father-in-law went over there, hundreds of folks could get saved throughout the course of a week. Just you have dozens of people getting saved all the time, and, and those results you could see. But over time, you know, folks got a little more cold to the gospel. Fewer people were getting saved. Uh, churches remained fairly small, but uh, we weren't after the material results, but the spiritual results as well, just trying to be where the Lord wanted us to be. And uh, so this was the Bible Baptist Church, and this was about six months prior to the war. And uh, we were having a, a, uh, a revival and a little time of Bible Institute that was a good time of fellowship for, for folks around Ukraine. And so this is what our church looked like on a typical, uh, typical Sunday. A few of those folks are visitors. Uh, if you were to overlay Ukraine with uh, with Martville, this area, uh, you have a country that's a very sizable country. It takes up, you know, basically all of New England, uh, that territory. Uh, you can go from, you know, the better part of Michigan all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, and uh, so that's a sizable territory. Where we were was around the area of Martville. Uh, we were serving in Kiev, and so where the war had been going on since 2014, there had been a been a uh, revolution and then a war that started in the eastern part of the country. Most of that war was fairly far from us; it would be along the uh, the area of, of New York, uh, you know, actually out in the Atlantic Ocean. So it was quite a distance from us, and we were able to stay there without any fear of danger. Um, But when the war started in 2022, the Russians attempted to surround the capital city where we were. So it became, got a little closer to home there. But since 2014, most of the war had been contained over in the Eastern part of the country as well. We were serving in in Kiev, the capital city. And that's a city that, uh, uh, I'll I'll get into some of the reasons why Russia invaded. uh, But one reason why Russia invaded is because that city, Kiev, is where, uh, where the Russian people and the Russian Orthodox Church began. So that's the heartland of the, the Russian Orthodox people. And uh, Vladimir the Great, he brought all his people down to the river and made them get baptized. So they got saved there by, by the river at the point of a sword. Um, but uh, they, they have every year, uh, in the late summertime, they have what's called the Baptism of Kiev. And folks come from all over all over Ukraine to go and get baptized in in the Dnieper River, and uh, so that's that's kind of the heartland of the area. That's where the the Russian people began when the Mongols came in. Uh, a group of of those Russians they went up into what we know as Russia, Moscow, Novgorod, uh, Saint Petersburg, that area, and founded the Russian Empire. And so when Russia sees that Ukraine is moving away from them and toward the Catholic Church and toward Europe. Uh, One reason why they invaded was to save the Ukrainian people and bring them back to orthodoxy and so you have a religious war that's going on and Russia cannot tolerate Ukraine getting away from them and uh, that's they feel like that's their city and that's the heartland and that's where everything began and as long as they don't control that territory they're not they're not fully uh they, they don't have that heartland and uh, so that's one, one reason why the war was going on. But uh, it's, a, it's a city that's had revolution after revolution, just, just uh, uh, not, not a stable place. It, anywhere you want to go, um, anywhere folks wanted to have a revolution, they would go right to the downtown uh, called Independence Square. And that's where the, they had uh, the Russian Civil War, Russian Revolution. Um, you had big events that happened right there in, uh, in Kiev's Independence Square. And most recently, 2013, 2014, was uh, the Maidan Revolution, which kind of kick started this whole war when uh, the president wanted to sign a deal with Russia, and the people said, no, we're not going to do it. You need to protest, police cracked down, they started to fight the police, started to shoot the protesters, just escalated into, in, into this uh, you know, open warfare in the downtown center. But uh, this is the area that we would always, always go on Saturdays to street preach. And uh, it's a place that we've been able to, and Brother Perry's gone for years, got to lead many folks to Christ there in the, in the, in the Independence Square. And uh, we were doing uh, the, the stuff that mattered, was tell people about Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go in Ukraine and, and in Kiev, especially, they had the Orthodox Church. That would sit on the highest point of the city, and you could every, everywhere you were, you could look and see gold-domed, uh, their, their palaces, basically. And uh, as I said, every kingdom, every religious system has to build, bring in their own kingdom. They have to do that with military might uh, because they don't have the spiritual power. Now, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty uh, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so the warfare that we're bringing in is not building the big buildings and conquering the territory and putting people in there. Uh, it's through spiritual means. But the Orthodox Church, they're trying to put in, uh, my father-in-law noticed that uh, once Bible-believing missionaries went there and started to, to plant local Baptist churches, uh, the Orthodox Church did the same thing. They started to plant little, little Orthodox churches around in different villages. And uh, they saw that that was effective, and they wanted to, to, everywhere you look, they wanted to have their presence there. And uh, so they were kind of combating uh, local churches there as well. So that's kind of the situation there. Uh, about 80% of the people would claim to be Orthodox, and there was a little split there between the Russian and Ukrainian Orthodox Church that just caused more, more religious chaos. Uh, another 10%, would, they would say they're Protestant, you know, which, which might mean they're saved or might mean they're part of the Lutheran Church or uh, some other, other kind of non-Catholic group. And then uh, another, uh, another about 5% Muslims and Jews are grouped into that, that territory. And then you have a, a little good chunk of them are atheists as well. And uh, so that's kind of the religious uh, uh, situation there in Ukraine. I mentioned Independence Square, and this is a building that got burned during that Maidan revolution. Uh, they had people in there hiding and the protesters, and so the, the police went in there and set fire to the building. A lot of people died in that building. And uh, when they, they set about to repair that building, they covered it with this banner that says, Freedom is our Religion. And uh, it's unfortunate that the Ukrainian people, they had the gospel of Jesus Christ, the doors open, there was improvement in the country. A lot of that was brought about by the Lord, just gave them a a level of prosperity and freedom that didn't exist in in any other former Soviet country except maybe Moldova. And uh, the Ukrainian people took that and said, we have prosperity, we have freedom, we're we're outside the Russian uh, system and we're gonna worship that as our religion. Freedom is our religion. You know, folks have died, they're right there for freedom. And so it's a shame that they're taking something that God gave them, peace and stability and freedom, and they're taking that and they're worshiping that as a religion. And so it's unfortunate that, uh, that many Ukrainians right now, they're saying Slava Ukrainia," Slava Geroyim, that's uh, glory to Ukraine and glory to the heroes instead of glory to God. So it's unfortunate that they don't see the Lord's hand in in everything that he's done and given them. The Bible says, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's the uh, the real freedom. And that's freedom that you can get. You could be sitting in prison on this earth uh, like Joseph. You could be in captivity like Daniel. Uh, you could be under threat of your life like Peter was. And you can be free, more free than anyone who's out there walking in... in uh, in physical freedom, if you have Jesus Christ. And so you have Ukrainians who are saved, and they're, they're under occupation, but they're actually the ones who are free. And uh, in the Russian language, it says And in the Ukrainian language, you can see there's two different languages, but they're similar. Uh, it says, And so there are two languages that, uh, that we'll have to work with when we go back. And uh, uh, myself, like, like many missionaries, we went learning Russian, speaking Russian, witnessing, preaching in Russian, passing out Russian Bibles. Um, but with the war, we're likely going to have to switch to Ukrainian. And uh, so that's something we're working on now while we're in the States to try to be able to speak Ukrainian uh, better. We had a a trip there about around six months before the war began, and we were able to take some Ukrainian brothers from around different parts of the country, and we were able to take them on a trip. We had about six of us, and we went and we uh, laid out a table with free literature. We uh, had our banners up there. We would street preach. We would uh, witness to folks there on the street, and then we would sing, and then we would just have time of fellowship. where We'd eat and fellowship together, have Bible study. And that was a good time of encouragement for the Ukrainian brothers there. And uh, we uh, got to see some folks saved during that time. That was in a city called Vinitsa, And uh, we had been praying about starting a church there. We had a brother there, uh, two brothers, that were praying about uh, having a Bible-believing church in their city. And uh, so we went there to try to lead folks to Christ, invite them to church, and uh, got to see a few folks saved. This is uh, Mykola, or Nikolai in Russian. And uh, he got saved, he was just just passing by, and uh, was able to give him a Chick tract and spend a little time, and he got saved. And he's got a a Russian New Testament there. And uh, like I said, about six months before the war, the Lord gave us some time where, uh, got to see several people saved during that that trip. And uh, we were praying about starting a church, but unfortunately the war came and uh, one of those brothers got drafted and he's in the National Guard now. And uh, many people left uh, the city of Vinitsa. Oh, We did quite a bit of street preaching and um, that was a good opportunity because you'd have thousands of people walking by you all the time. You could easily get out a hundred tracks just in the course of about an hour. And then uh, the people who didn't take tracks, they would get to hear at least a verse or two of scripture as they're walking by. So that's, that was a wonderful place to, to street preach. And uh, this, in particular, was a good place because uh, people can't run away. <laughs> they only have one place to go. They go. up the stairs or down the stairs. They can't uh, jump out of the way like they would if they, had, they were in a wide open area. And uh, they can't avoid us. So they got to hear at least a verse of Scripture as they're passing by. If they don't want to track, uh, if they don't want to look at the, the uh, representation of hell, at least they will hear. And uh, so that was a good place to stand. We got to get to... Get to uh, give at least a verse of scripture as people are walking by. Uh, p- folks took tracts, they took New Testaments, they took John Romans, and we would try to, try to watch for them like a fisherman. We'd throw out the, the lure, and then anytime someone stood and was reading it, we'd go up to them like, like Philip and say, Understandest thou what thou readest? And uh, try, try to have that opportunity to lead them to Christ. And uh, like I said, fewer people were getting saved out on the street But you still have a a very great interest. And now that the war is going on, people are even more interested in the gospel. Uh, Every one of those uh, John Romans that we have says how to be saved. And we would pass out tracts like uh, what after death and um, uh, the truth about hell. All those things that that pique someone's interest about eternal matters and where they're going after death. Uh, This is a city called Burisbul and we had prayed about starting a church here as well. And it's, this is the city where the international airport is. And uh, so it's a very strategic area. We lived in between Borispol and Kiev Center. And so that was a very strategic area as well. Uh, that was when Couriers for Christ came out, a uh, group, and they, uh, we just blanketed the city with John Romans and tracks and uh, got to see a few people saved during that time. But uh, unfortunately, that's when COVID kind of prevented us from starting a church there. We also had tent meetings, which was a very fruitful ministry. Some missionaries are uh, involved in that ex- extensively throughout the summer. And you can always see you know, great groups of young children get saved during that time. A lot of these kids, are, they're just bored out of their minds because they're, they're going to a small village and they're staying with their grandparents. The village is, is dying. Basically, all the industry is dried up in that place. And uh, the only thing they have to do for several months is just work on the garden, uh, ride their bikes with their friends, and uh, that 's a great opportunity where we can go and set up a tent and witness to them about Jesus Christ and play games and and uh, get to know them and so we 'd have a couple of Ukrainian uh, brothers who were there, and they would try to do follow up as well with the parents after we went back and uh, back to Kiev. It's about an hour and a half two hours away from Kiev. Uh, one ministry that we were involved with, and the Lord brought us. Uh, to Ukraine, brought Naomi and I together right at the right time for the Russian King James Bible. And uh, the uh, the, uh, the Russian Bible that, that the people previously had was from the 1870s, and it was called the Russian Synodal Bible. And uh, when I was starting to learn the Russian language, I went to a Russian Baptist church on Sunday afternoons at two o'clock, and I started to learn the Russian language, started to read the Bible, and I realized that there were Uh, differences between the King James and the Russian Bible and uh, Brother Perry I got to read his book uh, in those early years and found out you know kind of the details of that Bible and uh, what had happened was back in the 1800s there was a group called the British Foreign Bible Society and they they had a desire to go and start uh, a translation project in Russia and uh, previously they had the old Slavonic uh, Church Bible And the Old Slavonic was a language that's uh, a southern Slavic language. It's closer to Macedonian uh, or Bulgarian. And that was the language that they used in the church. And they said, much like the Catholics, they said, if you want to know the Bible, you have to go through the priests who know the Old Slavonic language, and they'll they'll tell you what it says in Russian. And uh, so the the, the British there in the early 1800s, uh, they had a desire to go and, and and produce a modern Russian translation of the Bible, which the Russian people didn't have. And uh, when the Russian Orthodox Church got wind of that, they confiscated their printing equipment, and they kicked the missionaries out of, out of Russia, and they said, uh, that was the early 1800s, they said, you know, there's still a problem, we still do need a Russian Bible, uh, but we want to oversee it. And so what they did, they had uh, something called the Russian Bible Wars, which I've got a book there on my back table that details uh, the, 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 the facts about that, those Russian Bible Wars. So the conclusion that they came to was we'll take the good texts, we'll take uh, the bad texts, and we'll mix them together. We'll have a compromised text. And uh, so that was the best Bible that the Russian people had. And you could go through there and you could see good, good stuff that lined up with the King James, but then you'd also see stuff mixed in there that didn't. And so missionaries went over there and they, they realized, you know, we have to do, to do something because the, the text is corrupted. And uh, the Lord brought the right people together uh, that by the year 2000, my father-in-law had prayed about it and other folks had attempted the project. But uh, my father-in-law sat down with some men and uh, worked on the translation and worked on it for about 17 years. So it was, a, it was a long process. But by the time Naomi and I got married, we were in the right place for the printing of the Russian Bible. And uh, that was kind of our job for a while, which was to get that stuff printed and shipped out all over the Russian-speaking world. And Lord gave us some good opportunities to ship Bibles into Russia. As a matter of fact, uh, January, right before the war began, in February, uh, the last place we sent to was Moscow. And uh, so Lord gave a little open door a few years where people in Russia could get could get the Bibles. Whereas missionaries, you, you couldn't just go there and say, "I'm a missionary. I'm going to start a church in Russia." You had to do it secretly and clandestinely, Uh, but we could ship Bibles, and Bibles could go places all over Russia that we couldn't go. And so here's a brother in Germany, Um, he's uh, deaf and mute, can't can't speak, can't hear, but he can read. He can read the Russian Bible, and uh, he was very glad to get his first edition, uh, two editions of the Russian King James Bible. Uh, It's my father-in-law and I with uh, John Romans and New Testaments, and getting ready to to ship those out for free uh, all around Ukraine. And these were the areas that we were able to send out uh, prior to the war and we've been able to send out even more since then. And uh, I've got a map there on the back table about all the places we were able to send. And, and uh, some of these were from Couriers for Christ when they brought in over a container, we were able to ship the remainder out to all over all over Ukraine. And some of these areas are were either previously under Russian occupation or are currently under Russian occupation as well. So. Um, We had an opportunity to ship those before the war and we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe some Russian soldiers will get saved by uh, reading the stuff that we're able to send that are areas that are now under occupation. In addition to Ukraine, we're able to send around the world as well. There are people all over the world who are either uh, emigrated from Russia or maybe they're learning the Russian language. And so we're able to send as far away as New Zealand, uh, Philippines as well, Uh, Russia all throughout the country even up to the border of Japan and uh, all throughout Canada and uh, the United States as well we know some folks who have uh, come and and settled in Canada uh, Montreal uh, Toronto and out in Vancouver as well and so there are a great many Russian speakers who are over here in North America as well as throughout Europe it's a small congregation, and they switched over entirely to the, the Russian King James Bible, and they were glad to get their, their free copies of the, the Russian King James Bible. Um, here's some young children just since the war. We are continuing ship literature over there, and uh, these are John Romans that uh, young kids have gotten. These young kids are growing up in uncertain times. Uh, maybe their families are broken apart, uh, maybe their, their parents are, you know, fathers serving in the military. Uh, you know, we don't know all the situations that these young children are in, but it's definitely not stable times. But what they're holding in their hand is the one thing that will give them stability in an unstable world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the, those early days, I mentioned that uh, that the Russian invasion didn't come as a, an entire surprise. We'd heard for months, you know, you, you likely heard for months prior to the war that Russia was assembling an invading army. Uh, there late t- late 2021. And uh, the, a lot of the people we talked to, there was kind of an odd spirit out on the street. People were kind of afraid. They weren't wanting to talk. Everything was kind of dark. It was wintertime. People were beaten down. And uh, we would ask folks, you know, what's, what's going on? What do you think is happening? And uh, a lot of people said, it's just propaganda. Russia's not going to invade. It's just the United States stirring up trouble. Um, it's not going to happen. And uh, when you know, we thought that if there is an invasion, it will likely come in the summertime. Because uh, during the wintertime, you have uh, January, February, it can be wet, the snow can melt. You don't know if it's going to freeze, going to be a hard freeze or not. And uh, so especially around uh, early March to April, the ground is real wet, real, real slushy. You can't get uh, mechanized infantry and tanks uh, to move very easily in, in that early springtime, late, late winter. And so we thought, you know, we've got some time. We're not going to go, not going to go to a different part of Ukraine or the states until we're sure that there's going to be a war. And uh, so when the Russians invaded on uh, uh, February 24th, it came as kind of a surprise because we thought it would be later on in the year. And uh, so they came, and in those early days, they had attempted to surround the city of Kiev, which was right, right where we were. And uh, they came from the south and came from the east and came from the north, from Belarus as well. And one of the things that kind of alarmed folks was that Belarus is a different country. They allowed Russian troops to assemble there. And Russia could not have had any kind of success unless they came down from Belarus. And um, so in those early days, they attempted, they came down from Belarus. They attempted to surround the city. Uh, they were beaten back during February, March, April of, of 2022. Um, in the meantime, we had uh, left the city. We had attempted to go to a smaller town, smaller village, uh, but the smaller village where we, uh, my mother-in-law had her, uh, had her uh, childhood home there that was right by an air base and they were attacking the air base. And so we kind of changed our plans and started to head toward the Polish border and as we're calling folks, we, uh, they said, it's best to try to get out of the country. You just don't know what's gonna happen. Naomi was pregnant at the time with James. And so we took the council and crossed the border into Poland. And we spent a little while there praying about what to do and ultimately decided to come back to the States uh, for a time <clears throat> to see how things were, were gonna go. And um, uh, during those early days, uh, Russia withdrew from Kiev, which is a blessing. But uh, over the next winter, the following winter uh, last year, Russia had attacked Kiev extensively in the power grid and uh, the uh, utility companies. And they tried to to freeze the Ukrainian people out, turn off the lights, turn off the heat uh, by having missile attacks. And so Russia, uh, Ukraine endured that last year. And uh, they're anticipating uh, that same thing to happen again this winter as well. So that's kind of the situation where we were. We still have a church building that's standing, we still have the place where we lived is standing. Uh, we got some things to be thankful for, but uh, we also don't know what's gonna happen in the future as well. Uh, how, how much Russia is willing or able to have an, launch another attack on Kiev? Uh, these were uh, folks just in the early days trying to get uh, trained to where they could fight. If Russia came into their homes, they, they were passing out. Um, AK-47s to anyone, you know, first come, first serve uh, there in Kiev, and they were trying to train people what to do if the Russians came and invaded. They don't have carry, you know, you're not allowed to have weapons, and so Russia was able to just walk right through a lot of these villages, and no one put up any resistance, um, because they didn't have any means to do so. But uh, a lot of these folks, and, and they're still training civilians to what to do in first aid, and and uh, small unit tactics in order to fight off the Russians if they come back. Uh, There's Russian military, uh, Ukrainian military, sorry, and uh, they've, they've lost uh, you know, upwards of 100,000 men uh, just in the last year. They've had devastating losses on the Ukrainian side, but again, Russia's had devastating losses as well on their side. So uh, they're kind of in a stalemate right now where, in the eastern part of the country, Russia is not able to break through, and Ukraine is not able to break through as well. so it's just kind of a, a vicious stalemate as of now. Uh, this was part of the group that we were involved in, sitting there at the border. We had about uh, two and a half days where we had to sit in the line. There were folks some people were walking, had a lot of students from India, from Pakistan, from African countries who were trying to get out of the country. They were just walking. They took, took a bus. Uh, about 10 miles away, and they were just walking to the border. And it was very cold, but um, again, it wasn't snowing during that time, so it had a little, a little bit of uh, warmer than it could have been. Uh, this is Kiev, and throughout last year, Russia had launched attacks on them. They didn't have the air defenses at, like they do now. And so you'd have apartment buildings going up. You'd have uh, shopping malls that were hit, and as well as utility companies as well. Uh, this is a situation in the east, and a lot of these houses and villages are just completely demolished. And this is kind of a typical frontline town where you just have complete devastation no trees, no plants, nothing green. Everything is just burned out of these areas. This uh, top left was a, a village where my father in law had had a Bible study for about 10 years, and every single building in that village was, was uh, damaged. And uh, the house of a lady where they had the Bible study was hit by a tank shell. And so Ukraine, uh, Kiev, excuse me, uh, had quite a bit of devastation around those areas where they were fighting back in the early days. But the Lord spared our particular area down in the south, uh, southeastern part of the city. Uh, this is a shopping mall in Kiev, uh, got hit, and um, all the cars in the parking lot just burned out, destroyed. And uh, so this was a typical scene that you could see last year. It's been a little safer. They haven't had any attacks uh, other than a couple days ago. They had a, a missile attack come into Kiev. But it's been fairly safe there for the last few months. Uh, the war is likely to continue going on. Uh, we, we don't foresee any fast end to the war uh, unless the Lord, does, the Lord you know, sees fit to stop it in some way. Uh, Russia could back off at any time. They could see it's not worth it. They're not able to break through. Uh, Ukraine could give up territory as well in order to stop the war. We just don't know how it's going to end. We uh, have some ideas about how it could end, but uh, like I said, it's all in the Lord's hands. Um, here's a, a scene that happened last year, just people driving down the, the road. there uh, People in Kiev there uh, are attempting to get back to their lives and just you know, go back to normal, go back to work. But you never know when something would be shot down in the sky above you and uh, come down with shrapnel, and uh, some people have been killed. Uh, one lady was killed in our uh, region by shrapnel. Something got shot down and then came down and rained uh, in this particular area. So not entirely safe there in, in Kiev, but uh, we're, we, I saw this in, in National Geographic. Uh, they, they were covering the, the Ukraine war, and uh, this is a woman holding a Bible, and uh, that's about all she has left is the Bible. And uh, so we're, we're praying that people see this devastation and they see this loss and they hold to the one thing that will give them stability, which is God's Word. And so that's our prayer for the Ukrainian people. It's interesting she's holding a Russian Bible, too. Uh, Russian-speaking people have been more devastated through this war than Ukrainian speakers. Uh, all the areas where Russia is occupying and attacking and destroyed, those are all areas that were uh, majority Russian-speaking. And so it's, it's an unfortunate war, uh, no winners in this thing, but um, our desire is to be able to go back and uh, like a, another missionary said, uh, it's not really a matter of if we're going to go back, but a matter of, of when. And um, so, but we do have to be open and surrender to the Lord's will about anything else he would have us to do or what to do in the meantime as well. Um, In the meantime, we're shipping out Bibles, New Testaments, and John Romans, and tracts, anything we can would get printed here in the States and ship over there. And then uh, anything we can get printed over there in Ukraine, we're going to get printed as well and uh, ship those out to the Ukrainian people. So we appreciate your prayers. The Bible says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Uh, But verse 24 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Brethren, pray for us. And we know that you're a praying church and you'll keep us in prayer. And uh, we'll need prayer in the coming days regarding uh, when to go back and uh, the safety that's involved with going back and uh, also what to do in the meantime. We're uh, attempting to get Ukrainian language material done. We're trying to work on getting songs together for a Ukrainian songbook, um, working on the, Russia, the Ukrainian translation of the King James Bible. Uh, I've got the New Testament uh, in print, but working on the Old Testament as well. And uh, just working on getting everything we can in Ukrainian so, so we'll be prepared when we do go back. So, again, we appreciate you all praying for us and uh, your concern for the people of Ukraine. If we have a couple of minutes, I could take some some questions, answers. Um, I may not be able to answer them satisfactorily, but uh, I'll do my best if you all have any questions, um, anything that's come up in the presentation or anything that's come up by watching the news over the last couple of years. Anyone have any questions? Brother? Black Sea? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. There is there are a couple of ports down there in the south. One is Mariupol. Um, that the Ukraine and Russia have been fighting over that since two thousand and fourteen. Eventually, Ukraine took control of that. And then in the early days, they had a fight for that, a big fight in the steel mill there in Mariupol. Uh, Russia has taken control of that now. Uh, there's another area called Berdyansk, and that's another port. We, uh, we had some folks there who lived there uh, in Berdyansk, and those are some ports. But the, the biggest port is uh, called Odessa, and that's still in Ukrainian hands, so Ukraine is still able to get material in and out of the port. Uh, so there are some ports that they lost, and then um, uh, there's another area where they had built sh- had shipyards called uh, Mykolaiv. And that was another contested area as well. And uh, Russia's constantly attacking uh, Mykolaiv. Uh, so Ukraine still does have some access to the sea. Um, Russia would, they, once they withdrew from Kiev, they kind of changed their plans and decided to cut Ukraine off by the sea so they would be able to uh, have control of the whole area. But Russia is still not able to take Odessa. And uh, so they have been shipping grain out from Odessa and getting material in, uh, and kind of fighting off the Russian Navy, so the Russian Navy can't get close to Odessa. Um, So the the Ukraine still has some access to the sea and Russia still has their ports there as well. But uh, a lot of this fighting has shifted to fighting the Russian Navy and fighting the Russian ports. And so it's kind of interesting to see what's gonna happen as far as the Russian navies. At one time, looked like they were going to control all the Black Sea, all, all the area around Ukraine. And um, it is good that the the port is open so we can still get literature into Odessa. And uh, that's one way that we've been shipping is by sea. And uh, it's cheaper and it's it's slower, but we're still able to get a lot more material uh, in there. There's brother um, uh, a brother who's there, still there, a missionary, and he's working in Odessa. And, um, and then Brother Chris Rue had just recently taken a trip. And um, he's praying about going back to—not entirely sure where—but he's been working for years in that southern area as well. Um, anywhere that Russia controls, they've kicked out the pastors, kicked out the missionaries, and so missionaries aren't able right now to minister openly in those Russian areas. But we're willing; those things will open up again. Any other questions, hey, brother? Well, the <clears throat> There, Crimea was, uh, it was initially, right, it was initially released to Russia. So Ukraine had sovereignty over that area, but they leased it to Russia. And uh, so for the last 20 plus years, Russia had complete uh, military facilities, the Navy there. And uh, when the revolution happened, they saw their opportunity. They said, we need to get control of Crimea uh, before you know, chaos happens in the country, we, we have the opportunity to annex that as opposed to just leasing it and, and basically being under rent. And so they, Russia sent in troops and locked down the facilities, kicked out any Ukrainian uh, or arrested any pro-Ukrainian people there, and they've tried to lock that area down. So that's been since 2014. Um, previously, you could go there to Crimea and uh, without any trouble. But once uh, Russia locked down that area and then annexed it, that's to kind of cut that off from Ukraine entirely. And uh, that area has been vulnerable to Ukrainian t- attacks, and you know back in the 1840s, they had a war that called the Crimean War, and so that area has always been kind of vulnerable. Um, you know Russia had to build a supply that, and supply lines to Crimea are kind of uh, tenuous there, so uh, Russia's trying to keep a hold of that. And Ukraine is also trying to, to prove how vulnerable that area is. Um, so that's, that started in 2014. It was annexed, and then I went over there in 2016. So that, that war in the south and Crimea was in full swing by the time I went over there. But, Uh, both sides have an agenda. Um, there's an agenda. <clears throat> I'll try to try to break this down as best I can. Um, some folks in, in the states have come away with the idea that Russia is the good guy. Uh, they're conservative, they're just like us. They're a godly country. Um, and then so they're the good guys and Ukraine is the bad guys. <clears throat> Other side, you know from the early part, a lot of folks were saying Ukraine's the good guy when you kick Russia out of there. Uh, in actual fact, there, there are no good guys in this situation. You know, Ukraine is not a righteous, holy nation. Uh, they've had corruption. They've had, you know, we were passing out tracks on the street. And uh, the common people, people selling things outside would say, go talk to the politicians. You know, they're, they're the ones who need it. And in actual fact, those common people, they would cheat you and lie and steal just as much as and would. Uh, the only difference was the politician had more, more, um, uh, you know, had more access to be able to lie and cheat. But th- that's the product of growing up 70 years without God under communism. So Ukraine had a corrupt system and corrupt politicians. Uh, meanwhile, you have Russia over here, <clears throat> and they have a conservatism. They're anti, anti-gay, anti-transgender, uh, everything, all the all the bad stuff. They're against that. Uh, but their system is a religious one, and it's governed by the Orthodox Church. So they come in, and do away with uh, this liberalism, like they say. They're just bringing in another extreme, which is just as bad. It's uh, you know a religious system. And so you don't have any good choices there. The Ukrainian people are stuck. They're, either you go liberal and do whatever Europe and the United States want you to do and be under bondage to them, or you're under bondage to Russia, who... You, know, you have to do whatever they say as well. So there's, there's really no good, uh, no good situation, no good guys in this whole thing. Uh, you know, we've said for years the best thing for Ukraine was to, would be to be independent of anyone, independent of the United States, independent of Europe, independent of Russia, and just have their own Bible, their own language, their own culture. But because of their geography, they have to choose a side. They have to either go to Europe and do whatever they say or go to Russia and do whatever they say. And so the news will tell you, they'll try to say Ukraine's the good guys and kick the Russians out. Uh, I, I want Ukraine to win for the sake of the gospel because if you go there and Ukraine wins, you still have access to church. They won't kick the missionaries out. Uh, you'll still be able to pass out Bibles, preach on the street. If Russia takes control, you won't have that access as well. So, for the sake of the gospel, we want Ukraine to prevail. Um, but then the other side will say, you know, Russia's the good guys, they're conservative. And there is an element of truth in, in that fact. Russia wants to go in there, they want to uh, control, but a lot, of, a lot of Russia's reasons are not moral and upstanding. They just want the land, they want the resources, they want to be able to protect themselves as a country, so they want to take as much land as they can and have those physical barriers. So that's kind of what, what you, you don't really get from the news. Um, the news will try to shift you one way or the other. Uh, the truth is actually in the middle, and the only hope for Ukraine is to turn to the Lord and get right with Him, uh, get saved, and that's the best thing that they can they can do for their country and for themselves. So, um, if you all have any other questions, I'll be at my back table and I'll be here throughout the conference, and so I look forward to meeting you all and talking to you, and uh, again, we appreciate your prayers and your support for us in Ukraine. Thank you.